If you are vulnerable to psychic damage from roguish language, stay away from these gibbering mouths. But if you intend on listening to this podcast about enriching your fantastical group hallucinations, you're too far gone already. Your next game is going to be a little rusty, and here's why. In this episode, we're finding answers to why rust monster? <laughs> yeah, why rust monsters? Because rust monsters suck. You get it? Right. Yes. It's a question. Why rust monster? <laughs> and I asked it. And how can we make the rust monster a monster that the players are actually excited to see? And can we expand on the Rust Monster in ways that make sense and challenge players in more ways than just metal go away? <laughs> Welcome to the Hook and Chance podcast. I'm Jordan. And I'm his brother, Travis. All right. So today we are talking about Rust Monsters, the owner and the proprietor of Rusty's Snack Shack. Mmm. A beachside bungalow restaurant, sounds like. <laughs> yeah, the hungry boys. <laughs> you know, the ones. You know, that's the first idea right out of the gate, Dan. Place that serves up rust monsters. Ooh. They got a taste. God, see, you don't even have to listen for more than two minutes before we really start laying down the golden <laughs> gems, like the creme de la creme of ideas. Yeah, what more do you want after that? <laughs> rust monster. Vulture. A rust monster restaurant. There you go. You don't even have to listen to the rest. You can just stop here. Please keep listening, actually, because we're going to give some good ideas on rust monsters. We can do better than that. <laughs> but first, we got to talk about the problem with them in the first place. So they were created as a way to troll the character that was beefed to the nines with weapon and armor back in the first edition of D&D and stuck around because they were one of the first. They're nostalgic. Yeah, which is never a great way of doing it. We've already <laughs> always had them and they've always been there. So let's just keep them in, I guess. Somebody will yell at us if we don't put the rust monster in the manual again. I mean, we've been shitting in holes in the ground forever. Like, w there's no reason to continue to do that either. <laughs> okay. So the rust monster is like a hole toilet, is what you're saying. <laughs> Good. Essentially. Let's try and fix that, though. I mean, the, the problem that I have with them is that they really don't feel fully baked. And, and I get it. Like, back in the golden age of D&D, &D, that was absolutely terrifying. You know, the, the rule set was pretty slim. And you said, I've got one thing. I've got sword and I hit with sword. And we're doing a dungeon crawl. And all of a sudden comes this monster that could take away your one thing that you have. Yeah. And right before you go fight a dragon in the next cave, you really don't want that. That was compelling at the time. There's another sense about them that's kind of like a trap that you spring on your characters. It's like, haha, gotcha. Didn't see that coming. And not only is that not a way that I really like to DM, but the rust monster is very much like a magic trick that's been fully revealed. Like it's the equivalent to, in D&D &D of saying like, I'm going to cut this person in half. Yeah, I know you got half. I got a person in that box and a person in that box. We know how this works. Yeah, we know this trick. <laughs> We've seen it before. Yeah. Like going back to the other challenge of the rust monster, the whole like, haha, gotcha. In my head, I go, yeah, I'm going to use a rust monster. And then the players are going to go, 
Oh, God, you got us good with that one. Great job, DM. Uh, Double finger guns. (laughs) But the way it actually plays out is, ha ha, Russ Monster, gotcha, all of your armor and weapons taken away. Wasn't that good? And then the players go, you rotten son of a bitch. Why did you do that to us? You fucking asshole. Yeah. This was not fun. I don't enjoy losing the things I've fought so hard to have. <laughs> that was my sword that, for, that was in my my character's backstory from a thousand <laughs> generations. And you just destroyed it. I also don't like it in tennis when a child comes and steals my racket. Which is not a fun way to play games. <laughs> gotcha. With the, that, that metaphor is... <laughs> I think we're getting off topic. Sure. Let's, let's drag it back. And even our previous guest, Keith Amon, notes that rust monsters, as metal-consuming insects, would never be aggressive unless they were cornered. Like a bee, they're not out to bite and munch you. Yeah. They're just gentle little beasts that like to eat metal. And I really love that take that Keith Amon took on the rust monster itself. It's just like, it goes, it feeds, and then it pisses off. Like any other insect or bug, like it, it's generally not going to be an aggressive creature. Yeah. And so I think what we really have to do here, we obviously don't like what they're for in the game right now. So we have to change their context, what their purpose is in our games. Right. And we'll do that in the Kinship Camp. This is Kinship Camp, where rich histories and diverse quirks are explored between weary adventurers around the safety of the fire. So as we do, we're going to do a quick recap on the Rust Monster. We're going to speed through this because it's pretty, like we said, there's not a lot going on. Right. Everything's pretty average except for their one ability. I mean, their armor class is 14. Average to hit. Hit points are 27. Not that bad, not that good. I mean, yeah, level five characters can kill them in a hit. Yeah. Speed of 40 feet. I guess that was so that they could catch up to most characters if they run away. I would assume so. It was another griefing technique. (laughs) Yeah. And then some of their stats, like their maximum is 13. It's nothing extraordinary. And their minimum is actually two, which is their, their intelligence. Right. They're not formulating complex plans. They, going back to Keith Amon's point, they are just guided by, can I smell metal? Can I'm going to go for a little bitey bitey. Yeah, which is their next thing, their iron scent. The rust monster can pinpoint by scent the location of ferrous metals within 30 feet of it. And as a point of order, ferrous metal includes adamantine, mithril. It can eat a lot of metals. The only thing it really can't eat is any magical weapon. Well, keep in mind that ferrous means that it has some iron in it. So, yeah, if anything else isn't pure whatever it is. Right. Yes. Important distinction. But that is to say that there's a lot of metal items out there that your players have that the rust monster can absolutely snack on. Yeah. And the only thing it really can snack on is magic imbued weapons and items. And really, I'm pretty sure the only reason that that's the case is so that a DM doesn't get a player's handbook upside their dome. Yeah, pretty much. You do not rob me of my magic items. Oh, boy. (laughs) Their main ability, of course, rust metal. 
The way it actually rusts metal is its antennae basically wraps it around anything metal. Kind of like rubs it down. Yeah. And I would assume that's like making it palatable to consume. I assume that's the, yeah, making it rust so it can consume it. It's like the salt and pepper before you eat. Sure. Spicing it up. Yeah. Characters can make a dexterity saving throw to avoid that. And basically what it does when it touches your metal stuff is it makes it worse. It doesn't immediately just turn it into dust. Right. It makes a sword do less damage. It makes a shield be less armor. Yeah, exactly. And another point of order is that it can do up to one cubic foot of metal item. So in the case, like this is going to get, you know, half your sword kind of thing per turn. It could really chew through some metal. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Because there's a lot of stuff to dive into with Rust Monsters. Right. So the three things that we think we can do with the Rust Monster beyond the gotcha is to use them as a tool, to use them as an environment, or to use them as a dynamic threat. And it kind of depends what you want to do in your game, which approach you want to take with a Rust Monster. But the thing we really don't want to do is just use them as a classic encounter. Yeah. This is a one and done if you're lucky. Yeah. But... By changing the way that we're using them and, like you say, using them as a tool, finding a way to use them as an environmental element or a dynamic threat, we can add more layers onto the rust monster to elevate it from one and done kind of single encounter monster that pisses off players to something that actually excites them and is interesting to them. So let's talk about a tool. What kind of tool can they be? Well, I think starting off, the most obvious one to me is as a narrative tool. So we've talked about this in the past. In a typical story or in a hero's journey, there is this moment where all is lost, where you are at your lowest in order for you to come back around and, you know, be heroic. Win the day. Yeah, yeah, be heroic. You have to overcome your biggest challenge, which is usually yourself in order to be a hero. Rust monsters with their ability, and this is the kind of the one caveat to using rust monsters and taking away players' items, is if I, as a DM, have planned for them to get something better momentarily. So if I have my players going into a big dungeon and they know that they're going to face something truly horrific down there, the biggest setback that I can give them is losing some of their items. Now, if I can dodge the incoming books at my noggin, (laughs) then momentarily, once they start to panic, once they start to go, holy shit, we are up shit's creek, we're going to fight the Balrog in the bottom of this dwarven fortress, this long-forgotten dwarven fortress, What the hell are we going to do? It's probably right around the corner. Lo and behold, there's a door and it leads to the Dwarven Armory. Yeah. Where you can now pick out something even better. Or like hide that behind some kind of a puzzle. Because then you've got that whole, you know, you never bar the main way with a puzzle. But if you can get a bunch of really cool loot by solving a puzzle. Right. I could dig that. Yeah. So this is an opportunity to potentially throw in that narrative dark place yeah or i really like that but i can almost see like teasing the fact that there's something powerful behind a challenge and maybe they'll initially be like 
Maybe we'll come back to that, but we've got this Balrog yeah. to deal with. And then they get Rust Monster and say, okay. <laughs> we now have a reason yet to go back and get that stuff. Yeah. yeah. Uh, course correction for your your adventure, if you will. Yeah. I like the concept of using it as a character's tool, like on the player's side of the table, too. Like, what better pet? We've talked about owlbears as pets before, but here we've got a very potentially useful pet in the party. Well, if we're working off the premise that they are, in fact, non-hostile, it just means that all they're doing is seeking some kind of metal for food. Meaning if players feed them metal, they're probably going to be satisfied. Totally. They're not a danger to anybody. Plus, you know, you've got these very kind of beetle slash cockroach looking bugs and your players are going to love tacking stuff onto those (laughs) (laughs) they're gonna decorate the shit out of their pet rust monster i guarantee it well and going back to how to feed them like one gold piece can buy a bag of 20 caltrops Mm. those are some yeah that's a meal a nice caltrop rust snacks if you're trying to train your rust monster to do a particular trick you need treats And if you've ever had a dog, you need treats that aren't going to make them fat. So a bag of ball bearings is a gold piece. And there's a thousand little Scooby snacks in that bag. Yeah. And if you want to, uh, you know, have your rust monster target an enemy, you wave the little ball bearing in front of him and throw it at the enemy. (laughs) Go fetch. Yeah. So there's lots of uses for a potential pet rust monster. We've got door hinges that no longer stand a chance against our party. Yeah, chests, doors, locks, all kinds of stuff there. And like you said, you sick them on your enemy. And well, now you need kind of a pack of them because they're a little bit expendable. So could you be (laughs) cultivating your own, you know, colony of rust monsters? There we get into the weeds and we're no longer playing D. D. (laughs) We're playing rust monster (laughs) farm simulator. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, you got to name it too. Oh, yeah. Rustophocles is what I'm naming mine. (laughs) Moving on. The enemies could also use them as a tool. Of course. They're a great minion for any villain. If you have that, you know, the meeting that happens in the back room of the tavern where they're like, yeah, we got to patch it down. Yeah. Rust monsters as drug sniffing rust dogs (laughs) that are like, hey, You know that dagger that the rogue didn't surrender when he came into the room? Mm -hmm. Because God knows there there has never been a scenario where a rogue gave up all of their weapons. Sleight of hand. Yeah, they always use that. And the rust monster is going to find that dagger. Yeah, true. And knowing that's coming. Yeah, that's good. And point of order. Just because a magical weapon can't be eaten by a rust monster doesn't mean it can't sniff it out. Right. Fair enough. Now let's move on to improving them because I think from this simple concept of metal eating bug, there's a lot more that we can kind of snowball from there and and add to and see what happens in the world of D&D. Well, and this can really be useful because we're after a sense of immersion and the rust monster doesn't feel immersive to me. Right. It's a mechanic. It's a mechanic, and it was introduced as a way to troll your players. So therefore, I as a player really can't buy into them in the world. 
And in order to do that, in order to sell them, there has to be more than just rust monsters out in the world. What's their life cycle like? What kind of behaviors do they have? What evidence of rust monsters exist in the world? It's certainly not really explored in much detail in the monster manual. Yeah. The obvious parallel being termites. So before we get in super deep, I want to throw a whole bunch of termite facts at you. Cool, I'm into it. Termite queens and termites shed their wings when they find a great spot to land and make a colony. Okay, so already I'm thinking wings from a metal-eating beast are like these thin, clear slices of metal. Like, that's dangerous to me. That's like a shard of glass, but harder and right. more dangerous. And like, yeah, well, that implies that they're somehow improving themselves with the, uh, I don't know, the metal pieces, the metal, I don't know, atoms <laughs> that they consume. <laughs> I don't know. It's helping them grow and it's helping yeah. them change into something new. Well, yeah, I absolutely love the idea of the metal they consume becoming a part of their biology in some way. Right. Well, like any food does for us like we use it as a source of fuel but it's a regenerative tool i will state that we don't think that termites turn into wood no <laughs> that's not not what we're talking about concepts <laughs> but they build huge colonies to scale to their scale termites build 30 foot mounds in some places in the world like tall columns okay god when you consider the size of a rust monster, how tall could a rust monster column be made out of all this weird lattice work of metal-like restructured pieces? Right, because if they're only consuming the iron in something, whatever scraps they're left with, I could totally see turning into these spires. Or they regurgitate it and they, as they consume it, they're putting it back out in a new right. form. Yeah. Termite queens are some of the longest lived insects in the world. And they can actually live from 20 to 50 years. I can so, do better. Can you? <laughs> I'll outlive them. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see. That does mean that they can found multiple colonies. And I'm, I'm really fascinated by the implications of incredibly long lived rust monster colonies and what treasures might be in there yeah from like eons back okay good uh, little alternative to all of the other treasure hoarders right plus i can see these colonies being huge threats to any civilization right you oh, gotta massive. factor that in massive and if they're tunnelers and they're typically in underground places where they can find natural sources of iron well, are they going to undermine an entire city one day? Yeah. Are purple worms attracted to where there are rust monster colonies because they offer a lot of crunchy, tasty mm. morsels? Very chip-like. Then you've got, if you just want to layer on some weird, gross stuff, termites have like a caste system similar to ants in the sense that each one has a different type of job. Sure. However... Some types can't feed, so breeders and soldiers can't eat on their own. They have to be fed by others, a.k.a. they get regurgitated into. And then, to layer on another level of gross, the queen feeds the pupae pheromone-laden 
poop to determine the role of what they grow into. That's not food. <laughs> that's, that's the opposite. That's of queen food. poop. Don't yeah, eat yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's bad. But I'm saying that there are a lot, like just Google bug facts, and chances are you can layer that on. And if players walk in to a queen breeding hive where a huge sack is sitting there and all of the the rust monsters are feeding to the the shards of metal going everywhere like we can get crazy we don't have to necessarily have three rust monsters in a room feeding off of the armor that was once there absolutely like that's that level one but we can get weird with it right talking about slurm status (laughs) yeah there we go. Weird reference. Sorry, everyone. Futurama. Moving on. I think something we can do with the Rust Monster that will kind of help with the whole gotcha aspect is to offer some kind of a reversal to the unfortunate fate that your weapons and armor might meet. Like now that's a mini quest. You can undo this if you accomplish X. If you go get the Rust Monster pheromone extract and apply it to your weapons right. or something to that nature some way of reversing yeah the the downside of it and again like on that point you can find other ways to sweeten the deal that isn't just a punishment like if a player has to lose a sword there might be something hidden within the hilt of that sword right if you have a non-magical sentient weapon maybe that's the only way to release the sentient weapon from its imprisonment within there or what have you but there's there's other reasons to have that weapon consumed you're unlocking something greater within it right or going back to you know restoring it maybe whatever element that you get from the rust monster actually makes it better than it originally was interesting yeah that is the thing that you needed to make another even more powerful weapon or something like that yeah Drag that corpse back to a master weaponsmith and you're going to have something real cool. Right, right. Yeah, you have to murder. It's the, (laughs) you you know, you murder the rust monster and then you got to go milk that rust monster back in town (laughs) for that sweet rust milk. (laughs) Just dip my sword in a little rust milk. (laughs) We're good to fight. Now, what effect? What, What effect would you put on a sword? I think like a sharpness kind of thing or even like slipperiness when, you know, it's like when you apply this stuff to your sword, if you can kill a rust monster and then harvest some of its bits, it actually will allow it to function like a freshly sharpened razor blade. Okay. Like give it a plus two to its attack temporarily. You're giving it like an opposite of rust effect right. in a sense. This might even encourage players to try to take on rust monsters with suboptimal weapons in order to get the kind of thing that helps them use their optimal weapons even better. Totally. The simplest approach to giving the players an ability is give them that exact ability that the rust monster has. Let them rust stuff. Let them be strategic with this gotcha. Right. There's endless avenues to explore when you think about what they could do with the metal they consume. We've already touched on a little bit of that, but what else could they construct with the metal offshoots 
of their food. The most obvious one is the environment, is what they can create with the environment. And as a DM, this offers me a lot of leeway because any environment I can imagine, I can make new. So like you said before, bridges made out of flimsy and halfway constructed metal, they're strong enough to support a rust monster, but not strong enough to support an entire party. They're trying to traverse caverns or they're climbing up the side of something on this flimsy kind of lattice work that the rust monsters have constructed into their hive, into their cavern. Yeah. The environments can be far more interesting than the kind of stuff that we would see on a surface or in a dungeon. And the delicate nature of it, I think, is kind of neat because I learned about the rusticle, which is a real thing that happens underwater, usually with shipwrecks. Oh. These very delicate little <laughs> icicles made of rust is the portmanteau. But yeah, if if touched, they can just disintegrate. Obviously, we'll make it a little more sturdy for our purposes, but exactly like you said, like maybe they're constructed by the rust monsters, but maybe they're just a result of the feeding areas. Right, right. And so we've got environmental challenges there of rusticles plummeting yeah. on top of our players. And if not hitting, then creating a cloud of rust. Oh, difficulty breathing, difficulty yeah. seeing. Any kind of encounter, when a combat breaks out inside some of these caverns, there are so many different environmental hazards created in a world where rust monsters are just munching yeah. all the time. Yeah. I could even see a, a difficult terrain aspect to it where, you know, there's areas that you might have to traverse that you know are going to be delicate. And if you don't treat them as difficult terrain, you're going to fall through. It's like a crust. Right. Who knows what's under there? And anytime you come up with a cool idea for what other abilities to give these little puppies, think of them like Pokemon. Because we can evolve this rust or fly into something far greater. Well, again, we don't know what their life cycle looks like. Do they start as a pupae? Do they grow wings and turn into something really dangerous? Yeah. Giving them the mobility of different types of bugs is already huge. Flight, crawling on the walls, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And again, thinking to what else that metal can do. Can they have a ranged attack? Can they shoot some kind of metal shard or rust shard at you? Dear God. <laughs> Why not? Put you down so they can munch your metal easier. Are heightened versions of them, do they have large metal pincer mandibles? Because those are the soldiers that actually go out and fight whenever the colony is threatened. And now all of a sudden there's some adventurers running around. Let's give them a better bite attack and make them actually aggressive. Yeah, and I usually don't stray too far into upping the AC, but uh, I think with this monster in particular, if you designed the encounter right, you could definitely you know, pose a bigger threat with an older rust monster that's just got an impenetrable metallic hide. Right. Or what if they actually started to absorb and mimic some of the metal shapes that they have consumed? So naturally, of course, it's a very organic carapace that they sport. But when they start to consume flails and swords and all manner of other things, 
now all of a sudden they start taking on these spiky uh pieces off of their carapace right or you know they start to to mimic whatever they've consumed right yeah now we've got a sword laden a large <laughs> mandibled flying rust monster shooting daggers at you yeah <laughs> that has a, a ranged attack holy shit stepping it up and i think one last thing if you really want to up the challenge and kind of the magic of these things you could make their consumption a little more adaptable like maybe it's not just metal perhaps they're x-men mutation is that they can produce enzymes to digest whatever material comes into contact with them so like if your druid's like okay shillelagh let's bash it well now it's able to consume wood after you do that well and there's different types of termites in the world right there's different types of rust rust monsters monsters. (laughs) that's just the the term that caught on but there's all kinds that live in different places consume different materials so whatever you need them to consume there might be a variation of rust monster that does that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about using them as an environment. Right. So I just kind of wanted to put together some of these thoughts into a location that has features that are evidence of the rust monsters living here and kind of finish detailing it out so that it's a really fun place to crawl through. And the encounter that you have here is going to be really epic based on the fact that this is a rust monster's home. Mm -hmm. You could go two basic directions. You know, either it's a cave that is the home to a colony of rust monsters like bats or a little higher fantasy. Just pull a Star Wars. Rust monsters are the bacteria or digestive system of some massive creature. That creature is not a threat, but what's inside it is. Interesting. And you're either going in there to, you know, take down the rust monster threat to the area or you're chasing another antagonist in there that's either using them as minions or just knows that people don't really like to go into the rust monster caves. Or you need the players to get their asses in there to find the hilt, the magical hilt yeah. that the rust monsters didn't eat, but they ate the blade. And now and it's, it's in a huge pile mm-hmm. of all kinds of, you know, waste, rust right. monster waste. Or it's sticking off the head of a rust monster. You gotta pull it out <laughs> right. sword in the stone side. Yeah, I like that. <laughs> That's the most feisty of the rust monsters. <laughs> of a stab in the brain (laughs) yes absolutely it is a little bit irate yeah (laughs) but some of the features you could put in a place like this beyond what we've talked about lots of metallic ore obviously that's the reason that they're here but you could add in some sensory details like maybe it smells of pennies and vinegar because i of course looked up some videos on how to rust things real quick and it involves (laughs) vinegar (laughs) you don't say you throw in those woven lattice works of structured metal. It's a very eerie and alien place, even though we're still using these pretty basic monsters. I think that rust monsters do pose quite an environmental threat. You know, like termites, it's fine if they're in the ground. But when, you know, they become the core to your story or the kickoff of your story to say, hey, we need to solve this problem because rust monsters in the world would really pose quite a challenge if they were in our world how much stuff do we is made of metal like we have a hard enough time with termites (laughs) the kind of implications of having these creatures roaming about in massive colonies going back to what i kind of mentioned earlier like they could undermine an entire city if that city happened to be sitting on a rich vein of metal or if the top of that colony 
all of a sudden busted off. And now there's rust monsters throughout an entire city. And the only way to get them to move on is to find the queen and get her to move on. And now all of the rust monsters will follow. Yeah. There's story implications and there's better ways to use rust monsters outside of just an attack. The gotcha. Absolutely. I also like the idea of going back to what you were talking about, the spires made of some kind of metal. If we go back to the rusticles that are super weak, I want to go on an adventure through a, a classic wizard's tower, except it's delicate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can't. Well, let's be careful on this. The final encounter is in the top. And if you're blasting off, you know, fireballs and uh, any of those more concussive magical attacks, things are going to start crumbling real fast. And all of a sudden that is quite the fight. Right. And that's what I mean is that I think that there's a lot more potential with rust monsters in any capacity other than the one that they're typically used in. Yeah. We know that you've used rust monsters creatively once or twice. Please come tell us what you did. Make our games better. And of course, these ideas wouldn't have kind of taken shape if it weren't for the wonderful producers of our show came to the monthly hangout for patrons only where we come up with ideas and help guide the reasons that we're really tackling some of these monsters. And for this particular one, we had the brilliant and talented Lucas D and Leprechaun joining us for the the chat that led to this episode. And as always, thank you to everyone that supports this show. Every patron is super special to us and so goddamn helpful. So thanks, Blackthorn. First Law. Victoria O. Peacock Dreams. DM Thunderbum. Marley R. Gar the Pirate. Time Warp. Dangerous Marmalade. Zach G. No Ma'am. Michelle T. Alan E. Felix R. Chris F. The Senate. Lucas D. Lila G. GM Tim. Thomas W. Tyan. Heavy Arms. Eric R. Aldros. Leprechaun. And Will HP. And another quick reminder, we have our article coming out in MCDM in sometime in the next two weeks. Probably between now and our next episode. Yeah, so this is the last time. This is the last time you'll hear... Well, no, no, we're going (laughs) to... Even after it releases, we're going to be mentioning it. It won't be the last time you hear about it. (laughs) But it's the last time you'll hear about it before it's actually out and in the world. And holy shit, we cannot wait to see the art in it. We can't wait to see the finishing touches that MCDM put on it and Matt Colville and the whole team... So you need to go and check that out. It also helps support us. Probably. I, I think. <laughs> Raise some buzz. I'm. Eh. If you want to see it, go see it. You get the idea. Thanks to Tabletop Audio for the sound effects you heard in this episode. You can follow us at Hook and Chance on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Reddit. You can join the Discord community who does so much more than just chat about episodes in a locked event, <laughs> but they trade all kinds of good ideas. They help each other with campaigns and characters and stories. It's really spicing up in there. Heck yeah. So join that Hook and Chance on Discord. Find it on our website. At hookandchance.com. Thanks, Thanks for, for listening. listening. And, and eat swords. Maybe it's good for you. Yo, do not say that. <laughs>